Welcome to the podcast service of Sydney's FM 103.2. Available on the web at fm1032.com.au. Well, the other night we started talking about the most significant and perhaps the most scandalous of all of the Christian claims. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. We began by observing the very important point that no one in the ancient world was expecting a story about a dying and rising Messiah. I mean, pagan people, that's the Greeks, Romans and Egyptians, had no underlying expectation that a crucified man could or would rise to life. And Jews weren't expecting it either. Jews believed that at the end of history, God would raise the dead and judge them. But no one was expecting it to take place within history before the judgment day. Now, why is this so important? Well, because we have to face the fact that the news of Jesus' resurrection was not the sort of story pagans or Jews were likely to invent in order to win some attention. As we saw last night, pagans would have viewed bodily resurrection as impossible, and Jews would have viewed it as ill-timed, just to put it lightly. Contrary to all expectations and assumptions of the period, the first Christians insisted that the tomb Jesus was laid in Friday afternoon was empty, come Sunday morning. Now, sceptical explanations abound, of course, and I want to talk about those tonight. Perhaps Jesus' followers stole the body and kept quiet about it all the way to their imprisonment and death. Now, this was certainly the Jewish leadership's counterclaim about the resurrection. They said the disciples pinched the body and made up a story about a resurrection. Now, this is partly why modern scholars are confident Jesus' tomb really was empty shortly after his crucifixion. Otherwise, this Jewish counterclaim wouldn't have arisen and Jews would have produced a body. The biggest problem with the idea that the disciples stole the body of Jesus and invented a resurrection is that this requires believing that the first disciples lived for a lie. Now, I guess plenty of people have lived a lie which they know is a lie, if they get something good out of it. Lots of money, lots of fame, lots of power, and so on. But don't forget, this is not what happened to the disciples. They got nothing from their claims about Jesus, except rejection from their own people, loss of property, imprisonments, beatings, whippings, and in the case of quite a few of them, death. All this for a claim they all knew was a lie. Well, it just doesn't make sense. Sure, plenty of people throughout history have died as martyrs for things that turned out not to be true. But how many of these died for things they deliberately made up? How many willingly suffer and die for stuff they know is a lie? Very, very few, I imagine. The idea that the disciples stole the body crafted a story about a resurrection, and then preached this far and wide all the way to their deaths, is totally implausible. This is why virtually no scholar today, no matter what their persuasion, thinks the resurrection of Jesus was a fabrication on the part of the disciples. Now, another popular level explanation of all this is that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He recovered from his injuries and walked out of the tomb and convinced himself and his disciples that God had given him the glorious resurrection life awaiting all the faithful at the end of history. 
Now, I call this a popular level explanation rather than a scholarly one because, frankly, no mainstream academic that I know of considers this even a remote possibility. Only a few sensationalist scholars have ever attempted to recycle this old argument. One example is Barbara Thiering, who tried out this explanation in her book, Jesus the Man, on pages 116 to 120. Um, The thing to know about this book, and she's become quite famous in Australia, is that scholars around the world consider this the most fanciful work on Jesus ever written. Even the scholar who was quoted on the back of the book, apparently in support of Barbara Thiering, issued a statement shortly after saying that his words were used out of context and without his permission. This was Professor Philip Davies of Sheffield University in the UK, and he went on to state in no uncertain terms that he found Thiering's views on Jesus utterly implausible. The Jesus got better explanation of the resurrection has convinced no one in mainstream scholarship for the simple reason that everything we know of Roman punishment leads us to believe that individuals who were officially sentenced to crucifixion did not survive the experience. The reputation of the Roman executioners and of the Roman legal system itself were at stake. One explanation that is common among sceptical historians, those who insist resurrections just can't take place, is that the disciples of Jesus had a simple mental experience of a resurrection. In other words, Jesus didn't really rise again, but the disciples just sincerely thought that they had seen him risen from the grave. Now, there are two versions of this explanation. The first says that the disciples experienced religious visions of a resurrection. Now, the Bible has lots of examples of religious visions, so why couldn't the resurrection just be another one? The other version suggests that the followers of Jesus were so tired and distressed at the death of Jesus that they experienced grief-induced hallucinations. Hallucinations like this do happen. Relatives do occasionally picture their departed loved ones shortly after their deaths. It's just a psychological phenomenon. Now, Although this vision explanation is reasonably popular among sceptical scholars, it's not without some very serious problems. The problem with the idea that the resurrection was a religious vision, not an event in the real world, is that throughout the Bible, wherever there are visions, those experiencing the vision know that it's a vision, and they name it as such. There are too many examples to even begin listing them here. The point is, the disciples knew the difference between a vision and and a real event. And although they highly valued visions, none of them ever describes Jesus' resurrection as falling into that category. They all say it was a real event. The problem with the other version of this argument is that grief-induced hallucinations don't occur en masse. Now, individuals are known to have hallucinated about their loved ones, but we don't have any examples of entire groups hallucinating together about a loved one over a period of weeks. And yet, what we have in the New Testament is the claim that the disciples saw Jesus repeatedly in small and large groups over a period of more than a month. I guess you could say that all of these explanations I've just mentioned are attempts to interpret the evidence we have from an entirely natural point of view. 
I said a week or so ago in connection with Jesus' healings, if you believe that the observable laws of nature are the only things governing the universe, then you're going to search as best you can for a naturalistic explanation of a bizarre event like the resurrection. If you insist resurrections don't happen, well, you're going to latch on to any explanation that means you don't have to believe a resurrection actually took place. No amount of evidence is ever going to change your mind. That reminds me of a um, not-quite-true story I once heard from an English minister I know called J. John. A bloke woke up one morning absolutely convinced that he had died during the night. At the breakfast table, he ate nothing. He just sat there moping. He was dead, after all. At first, his friends and family thought he was just playing a sick joke. But as the days passed, they realized he really did believe he was dead. His wife eventually took him to a renowned psychiatrist, hoping he'd be able to cure this bizarre condition. After hours of therapy, there was no change. This guy still thought he was dead. Then, in desperation, the psychiatrist tried out one last idea. He got out his big medical textbooks. He turned to the chapters on death and showed the patient one simple fact of the medical world. Dead people don't bleed. With no heartbeat pumping the blood around the body, dead people just don't bleed. The man carefully read the pages for himself, weighed up the evidence, and then said, OK, you're right. Dead people do not bleed. Immediately, the psychiatrist pulled out a small pin and jabbed it into the patient's arm. Blood spurted out everywhere. And in utter amazement, the man looked down at his bleeding arm and said, Well, what do you know? Dead people do bleed after all. Now, as I said, the story is not quite true. But it does illustrate something that is true. Some people will never change their opinions, no matter what the evidence. They'd rather be dead than admit that something like a resurrection took place in history. We hope you enjoyed this FM 103.2 podcast. To listen to more great audio, visit fm1032.com.au.